Hey, everyone. I hope that you are having a great August. I know that a lot of children are going back to school and life is getting back to the fall, even though it's still very, very hot. I wanted to remind you that I have a program called Uniquely Beautifully You. It's a beautiful workshop. We meet on Monday evenings on Zoom, and then on Wednesday mornings, we have Alexio Divina. And the link is in the show notes. I want to invite you to join us. There's still space, and it has been very, very fruitful for those who have been attending. This episode, we're going to be talking with Megan. I'm so excited. I really hope that you like listening to our interview. I had so much fun. This gal is a mover and shaker, and I really want you to look her up in her podcast, Arm to the Heart. So come on the podcast and let's listen to the interview. Hello, Catholic Divas. Welcome to Cycles and Sanctity Podcast. I am Mama Jane, wife to Steve for almost 37 years, mother of six wonderful children, fertility awareness instructor, and a Catholic mindset coach. Are you confused about your cycle? Do you want to learn how charting your cycles can give you insight, not only to your health, but your mental and emotional state as well? And most importantly, using this information to draw closer to God and pursue your path to holiness? If you answered yes, then you are in the right place. Go grab your journal and your favorite pen and let's do this. Well, hello, Catholic Divas. Welcome back to Cycles and Sanctity. This is Mama Jane, and I am so excited of my guest today. This is Megan Gephardt. She is a Catholic mom, mother of two boys. She is also an active duty Army officer. She's a life coach, a pre and postnatal fitness coach, an advocate for mothers and families in the military. She's a West Point graduate and she's serving in the military. She first started in the Army Intelligence and then she transferred into the public affairs and is currently working as a public relations and strategic communications role. Over the last three years, she's coached dozens of high achieving women in the military and beyond to build more balance of work and family, pursuing their health and fitness goals through motherhood and living out their faith more fully. The advocacy work she helps has spearheaded led to the significant policy changes for pregnancy, postpartum, and parenthood in the military. And she was one of the 30 members across the Army recently to be appointed in the first women's initiative team in history. Megan's also a host of a top 2% globally ranked podcast called Arm to the Heart, and we will include that in our show notes. Her dream is to found a crisis pregnancy nonprofit to provide life-affirming support for the 18,500 military women around the world who experience unplanned pregnancies each year. And unfortunately, approximately 40% of those get abortions. She hopes to start this mission in the near future. So I'm really excited. Megan and I were in a similar life coaching group. But one of the things that just perked my ears is, first of all, she's military, but second of all, her advocacy in the prenatal and postnatal in the fitness coaching, because as many of you know, you've heard my story. I was also in the military and that really was one of those key things. Like I remember after having my baby active duty, the inability to do, <laughs> do the push-ups and the sit-ups that I could do and things like that. 
but also I'm just so, so proud of her because of all of the initiatives. She's she's really a figure in the military for women advocacy, and I'm so proud of her. So welcome, Megan, to the podcast. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much, Mama Jane, for having me on. And you're just such a gift in my life. And it's been a privilege to just connect on so many levels and hear your story and to be able to share and so many overlaps in common, you know, years, years apart, even in our military experiences. So thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's so funny. So real quickly, I, w- I had a question. When did you graduate from West Point? 2018. Oh, 2018. Okay. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Wow. So we're just over five years into our, to our army life oh. here after the four years at the academy. So yeah, yeah, that's yeah. fantastic. So tell me a little bit, because one of the things I've discovered talking with you privately is that you're actually a convert. Is that correct? Yeah, I, sort of. We were we were somewhat raised Catholic, and and then we kind of fell off. I would say practicing faith when I was in middle school and high school time frame. Sports kind of overtook our life and other activities. And I think as I do for so many, and and I was a competitive volleyball player. I played Division One volleyball in college, so I was going through the recruiting process from a very early age. And it was, I mean, it was really rigorous. And so with that, yeah, I kind of had to, the way I describe it, my husband and I almost wandered back home (laughs) into our faith in college together. And because it was a very similar story for him, he was confirmed when he was younger, but I was not. And so I received my first Holy Communion, I was baptized, but that was it. And so then I, I really did, yeah, find my faith much more. And we grew together so much because we had dated over the four years at the academy and and then we grew together so much in our relationship and our faith as we approached marriage. We and we had gotten married right after we graduated. So so yeah, that's that's how I would describe it. That's so beautiful. And and I know from personal experience and knowing other West Point grads that the Catholic community up at West Point is just so phenomenal and so deep and so fantastic. But I, I'm always curious what made you decide to apply to West Point and what made you decide to actually go active duty military. Oh, yeah. So I think for me, it was a combination of factors, but I was always very driven. I was a hard worker, but I also wanted a well-rounded kind of experience for college. And I wanted to play Division One volleyball. I was like 14 when I decided that. And once I kind of set a goal, you know, I, I pretty much go for it. And so I was willing to do what it took to get there. And I also was a very good student and I wanted to be a leader. I wanted to grow and I wanted to challenge myself. And so the different environments I was looking at for college were all, I didn't want to sacrifice my academics for sports and vice versa. I kind of was like, can I have the best of both worlds here? And so a lot of the schools I was looking at were a combination of those things. And I didn't have direct family members in the service. My parents were not, but my aunt was a West Point graduate, my dad's sister. And so I kind of knew about it from her. She was, yeah, she was class of 89 and I always knew about it, but she was never very vocal about sharing her experiences. And I had a number of volleyball coaches. This was kind of the trajectory that launched me eventually into it, but I had a number of volleyball coaches who were all military. So my, let's see, it was 13th year, 14th year, my coach was a West Point graduate and he was like hard charger, yeller, like what you would typically think of when you think of somebody from the military. And he helped drill discipline in me from an early age. And then when I was 15 and 16, I had a former Navy SEAL and he was very, very intense as well. And then let's see, 17th year, I had a Naval Academy grad. So I just had a series of volleyball coaches who were all military. And then I had a good family friend who her daughter ended up going to the Naval Academy. She committed a little bit before me and she was a Navy grad for a career as a pilot now. So anyway, so I think a lot of those conversations, they saw it in me from a very early age. And 
they told me all along the way, Megan, you should think about going, you know, joining the military, going to an academy. And I was like, no way. And I even went to the Navy volleyball camp. And my parents always tell this story because I, and I think it's hilarious because it's very accurate, my perception of the military. And so maybe some of you listening may have this similar perception, but I told my parents when they asked me after the Navy camp, I was 12 years old at this time. They were like, Megan, would you like to go to the Naval Academy or think about it? And I had been there for the summer volleyball camp. So I saw the midshipmen, like new cadets, basically marching around, right? And so during our basic training time, we're yelled at more. You're all in a uniform. You're marching around. It's kind of what happens. And so I, I told my parents, no, I don't want to be marched around, being yelled at in a uniform all day, being told what to do. Like, And that was my perception. And talking about femininity and everything, like I thought I was going to have to surrender every bit of my womanhood almost to join the military and that that part of me would be completely stifled. And there's a truth to that in different dimensions, which is a big part of my spiritual walk. But at the same time, I just had this idea that I would have to lose every bit of who I am and my individuality as well if I joined the military. And I had this kind of different perception of it than reality. And so eventually God opened that door and and almost because he closed other doors. And so it was the right fit. And West Point was very much also I was drawn to it because I wanted to grow as a leader of character and the values of the institution are very, very mm -hmm. strong. The moral compass that they try to instill in leaders and that always very much resonated with me. And so all that, it was, it was just a very good fit. So that's what helped me join the military. And my aunt actually, instead of kind of encouraging me in a positive way, she was more like, okay, do you know what you're getting into? Do you know what you're getting into? Because you're not just committing to these four years at West Point, you're committing to five years in the army afterwards when you go. And so she was like, you got to look at least 10 years down the line and you got to understand what the army is going to be like. And are you willing to do that? So she's kind of my counter to my excitement in some ways, in, in the best way, just giving me the reality check. And that helped me to really discern that decision. But I just felt really called by God to be there. And and same thing with, you know, you you make decisions incrementally, but generally speaking, most who start at the academy will finish. And then you commission and you owe at least five years of active duty service in the army afterwards. Yeah, that is amazing. And I, I don't know if I, I shared with you, but when I first was in the military, my very best friend was a West Point grad. She was a pilot. I was the S2 for the battalion and, and we were like the two females. And yeah. so, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that's one of the things that Megan and I are kind of kindred spirits in that when she first joined the military, she was military intelligence. And that's what I was when I was in, but I only served. It's funny. My husband reminded me, I served three years active duty, but in reality, I served seven years. So I was three years active duty. And then I was blessed to have two years actually in the reserves overseas in Germany. And then I was IRR, which is that individual ready reserve, basically just a name on a paper in case they need to call people. So mm -hmm. he reminds me that, you know, no, you actually served for seven years. And I'm like, whatever. <laughs> but I, I wasn't as thoughtful as you. I really didn't, you know, the joke is like, do you think she woke up and, you know, the line from Legally Blonde, do you think she woke up and decided to go to law school? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what I would, but you're right. That was one of the things as far as the discipline, that was one of the things that I loved about it is the challenge, you know, looking back on now as life coaches, we've been studying temperaments. I've been doing a lot of workshops on the temperaments and it's really realizing that as much as I'm a sanguine, I'm very high, also choleric. And that's what, when I remember when I first joined ROTC, it was like something woke me up, like something just I, I was like, oh, this is so awesome. And I love the challenge. 
I decided to go to airborne school. I, I joined the ROTC Rangers. I mean, I just wanted to be as hardcore as possible. But the reason is, is that my dad was, you know, I always tell people he was a badass. Actually, it was in 2016, 2015, he was inducted into the Ranger Hall of Fame. So my wow. dad was Special Forces, Ranger, Airborne, three tours in Vietnam. I mean, just a hardcore. By the time I was born, he was a major, like my first memory of him was he was a, a battalion commander, the Curahy in the 101st at Fort Campbell. So we always had big shoes to fill. And yeah. then both my <laughs> brothers went to West Point. And one of my brother-in-laws also went to West Point. And then the other brother-in-law was ROTC, but he was a, an instructor at the Ranger Department when my sister met him. So being female was really hard for me because the only thing that I knew for about the military was Airborne Ranger, Special Forces and Infantry. At the time when I was in the military, I joined ROTC in 83. I graduated in 85. So my last two years, and really the only reason why I did it, which is really kind of crazy, you talk about, you taught, you was sharing with us about all of these people that were guiding you and your aunt was kind of like your kind of your counter clarity and things. All I wanted to do was get a scholarship so that I could start paying for college. Mm -hmm. And the only reasoning thought process that I went through is I knew I wasn't smart enough to get an academic scholarship. And I went to Florida State and I was definitely not sports, you know, anything sports that I could get a sports scholarship. And so I just, and this is way before computers, I just started looking and one day I was out on the track running and, and the Air Force ROTC, one of the instructors invited me to take a look. He's like, well, we have scholarships for nursing. And I knew I didn't want to do nursing, but the Air Force and the Army ROTC were in the same building. So we went over and it was right across the street from the track. And, and I saw the army guys, <laughs> but I also, like I said, I grew up military, so it's very, very safe for me. Like I would find these ROTC guys. This is just a little funny side story. I would find them on the, on campus and I would just get so excited that I would go up to them and I would ask them a stupid question of like where a building was or just because I wanted to talk to somebody in a green suit. Like that's my safety net, but I'm an army brat. You know, I was, yeah. I was talking to a friend of mine who was born in 69. I'm born in 63. And I told him, gosh, but by the time you were born, I'd already lived in three countries. And he's like, what? I'm like, yeah, we lived in Paris. We lived in Philippines. We lived in the States. So moving, I mean, all of the military just is in my blood. But let's get back to you again. So your faith was restarted, reignited at West Point. How did you meet Tim? I want to hear this story. Yeah. So we first got to know each other in our plebe year, which is our freshman year company. So at West Point, they arrange us in these kind of units, just like you would in, in the army. And so Tim and I were in the same company and I was always traveling for volleyball in the fall semester of the first year. So I was really not present on the weekends. I didn't know that many people in my class. And usually when you're freshman, you're kind of a second class citizen, to be honest, like you can't call anybody by their first name. And you're just not really as much of a human being, to be honest, that's how you're treated. And so we all stuck together as freshmen. And then that's how I got to know him. So my roommate, who became one of my best friends, ended up dating Tim's roommate. And we were all mutual best friends. And we ended up dating and we all got married. And, you know, we're all here we are. And so we're still very close. And 
I actually is coaching my good friend. She's one of my clients. And so anyway, so just really cool story there, but we just got to know each other in one of the traditional Christmas is a Christmas dinner night. And that's where Tim and I really kind of connected and hit it off. And we were basically inseparable from there. We had a three hour conversation in the, in the basement of the church, you know, donuts and coffee after mass one day, getting to know each other and our family life and our values. And we just literally inseparable from there, I would say. So that's yeah, so very much. Uh, it's just very God ordained. So, and we were we we're really close ever since. So, you graduated in 2018. Did you guys get married right away, right after graduation, up at West Point in the beautiful chapel? Yes, and I can share my story with that because I think it will help um, segue into some of our conversation today. But yeah, we got married immediately after we graduated, and that's pretty much the norm, I would say, especially if you're going to be dual military, because in order to stay together, or do, the Army will try to do the best they can to keep you together, you know, given the, the mission requirements and everything. And so in order to try to make that happen, you pretty much have to get married right after, but we wanted to anyways. So we got married right after we commissioned and graduated. And I actually had earned a graduate degree scholarship. Uh, I had competed for really competitive global scholarships, including the Rhodes, the Marshall, Cambridge, some others. And so I, I had applied and earned the Schwartzman scholarship. And I was actually set to go to China for a year-long master's program. And this is a very untraditional, like unconventional path for the army, because usually you commission, you go directly into your field in, in the operational army. But it was a really rare opportunity to get this. And I had worked like four years of hard work went into all of this. And so, and it was institutionally endorsed and all of those things. And I was about one week away from reporting to China. And I had just helped my husband get settled into his basic officer course location. So he was ready to go. We had finished our honeymoon and all of that. So this was maybe a month into our marriage, actually. And then we found out that we were pregnant and very unexpectedly, of course, because the in the main thing that this was is through a huge, huge wrench in our plans, obviously. We had always wanted to to be parents. We always knew that we were open to the possibility of children, but we were also practicing NFP. So we'll talk about that. But a user error, which allowed for imperfect application of NFP, allowed for God's perfect timing is the way I always, always put it in, in his, his beautiful plan for Matthew's life. But it was terrifying for us in the moment because here I was literally about to go across the world to China. I could no longer do this scholarship because of the nature of the program. It was very immersive. It was travel-based. It was a low medical care available because it's a cohort-type environment and in China. So anyways, basically that that was no longer on the table. And then it was like, okay, what do we do next? And now it was kind of handing back over to the army and the army policies were very limiting for pregnancy. And there was a very discriminatory policy in place for officers in attending your initial officer training. You could not attend pregnant. And the frustrating part for us was the policy basically stated in one paragraph, okay, if you have a temporary, what they call profile, which is essentially for an injury of some kind, you can count your last record fitness test towards that requirement. And as long as it's within a year. And then the next paragraph down, immediately after it says pregnancy, essentially a disqualifier, you cannot go. And I was looking at this, like, why can't I count my last record PT test? I, I maxed this thing. Like, that's not fair. I just took it a month ago and I did really well. And why can't that also be validated? And so anyways, that was, that felt really unjust in the moment and later propelled a lot of the advocacy work that I do. 
But that was part of our story. And then it was just figuring out, okay, what is the army even going to do with me? And there was essentially no path forward. And so in speaking with some of my mentors who just met me so beautifully and in, in supporting me in that moment where I was really in sort of a crisis, they just helped me to find a path. And we essentially were able to make a path. And I was able to go back to West Point. They made a job for me because they knew what I could contribute. And I was able to work as a research associate in the Combating Terrorism Center and in the graduate scholarship program, worked in the social sciences department as kind of an instructor almost, um, which is always a dream of mine. It's funny how God works, right? Because I always dreamed about going back and mentoring cadets because I had such a beautiful experience being mentored when I was there. And so I got to do that for that year that I was pregnant. Tim and I were stationed apart this entire time. And then basically we were staring down the year and a half or at least year and a half to two years apart total until we could finally come back together as a family in, in the army because of our career progression requirements that were at a minimum necessary to move on. And so I had a great support system there talking about our faith community. They really wrapped their arms around me um, during that time when I was there by myself. And I got to actually co-teach RCIA because I had a beautiful experience going through it myself, my senior year, and I wanted to give back to that community. So that was wonderful. We had been really wonderfully prepared through pre-Cana there as well. And so I was I was kind of giving back and mentoring other cadets who were preparing for marriage. So it just was beautiful how God worked, but but it was also hard, you know, and we were very much looking forward to finally being together as a family and with this new baby when the baby would be born. And so Tim was in Hawaii. He was eventually stationed in Hawaii once he finished his basic officer course. And I was in New York at this time when I was about to give birth and we were just praying that he would get there in time, first of all, because he's flying from Hawaii, right? And you never know when babies are going to come. So he did, he made it in time. And then essentially immediately postpartum, I went out to him just so we could be together for that time frame. And the policy had just changed to be more accommodating and allowed to 12 weeks of maternity leave uh, for the birth mother. So that was really exciting. And I was eligible for that at the time. So that's what we planned. We were in Hawaii. We're getting used to the exhaustion and all the things, right? The, the wonderful time of having a new baby. But we were on our own. We, we didn't really find family support there. It was it was us. And and that was a wonderful thing, though, getting getting to be a family unit for really the first time, actually, in our marriage, you know, 10 months later. But eventually, we're looking ahead and we see... My next kind of gate that I had to go through for career progression to get back uh, on track to eventually be stationed fully together with him, I had to go to my basic officer course. This was the one I was not allowed to go to pregnant, but you could go postpartum. And the policy at the time was six months postpartum, you have to be able to pass a record fitness test. You have to be able to pass your height and weight standards, which is a body composition standard that we do. And that's a very rapid timeline to begin with. But I was looking at that and I was like, how can I speed this up? Because my family is waiting on me to finish this. In order for us to be together, that's what I'm waiting on. And so can I do this sooner? I will. And I was kind of willing to do whatever it took, like same mentality that's always driven me, you know, like whatever it takes, right? I wanted to now do that for my family. And so I basically had two options, go at the six month postpartum mark to this training course, or the only other choice was that was available was you can go almost immediately. And it would be at about six weeks postpartum that I would have to take a fitness test to validate my ability to go to that course. And so I was staring at two choices. Okay, wait until starting at six months postpartum, which would put us at about a year to be reunited postpartum. So my baby would be a year, this would be two years of us being apart total, or I could expedite this by just going sooner. 
And I I chose to go sooner because I wanted to get us together as quickly as possible. So, you know, six months earlier to me was a no brainer. I was like, I'll sacrifice some of my maternity leave. I will sacrifice some of my physical recovery time and this early time, if that means six months of us being together that we wouldn't otherwise be together, right? I'm like, okay, well, that makes sense. And I didn't know what I know now, which is part of why, you know, I've become a pregnancy and postpartum fitness coach because to help women like fully recover and also navigate some of these pressures, especially in the military that we have to come back really quickly because our job is so physically demanding. So I jumped into everything way too quickly, basically, long story short, and I just threw my body into so much. And I ended up dealing with kind of long-term complications of that in urinary incontinence for me, stress urinary incontinence and some other pelvic floor issues. I had pain with intimacy. That's another piece that affected a lot, right? In our marriage and just my own relationship with my body. But a lot of that was was kind of a result of just not taking care of myself as I was recovering from birth. And I just didn't know any better. I think so many of us don't know any better. All we know is the pressure we feel from society, from social media, from our gym environments, or from the military even, to jump back into everything so soon. And so I went to this training course. I talk about breastfeeding. So I was six weeks postpartum. I brought my newborn baby with me. My mom was able to drop everything and come. And none of this would have been possible without her because we ended up unexpectedly having six weeks of overnights away from, from home during this training course in field training environments. And so with that, it was essentially, I had to be away from him during that time. And I was exclusively breastfeeding. I was pumping for him nonstop, essentially, you know, every two, three hours, because he was fully reliant on milk at that point, being so little. And I did the best I could to make it work, but it was insane. And I would pump in all kinds of environments. I was in the desert because I was in Arizona for this training course. It was extremely hot in the middle of the summer. And I was doing the best I could to keep my milk supply up while continuing to train. One of my very first days in that training course, I was already out in the desert on the hottest day of the year so far, it was like a really high heat casualty rating, which means it's a risk of people basically passing out or having some kind of heat injury. And I was hurting so badly already because I hadn't been able to pump for like five hours because starting at like four in the morning, we had to start our initial land navigation test. And then I had one break, luckily, before we jumped into our actual, that was our practice round. And then we jumped into our real thing and I got to pump in the middle, but I was just hurting on so many levels. And I was just trying not to pass out because you know, your body's working so hard to produce milk and it's easy to be dehydrated already and all of that. And, and that was my, one of my very first days. Next day, I'm like rolling on the ground, doing an assault, kind of a grenade course. And then the next day I'm shooting my rifle for qualification. And this is all while I basically have a newborn back in the hotel with my mom and I'm trying to pump and I'm trying to maintain the milk supply. I'm trying to see if I can store milk with a cooler and ice and see if I can get that restocked or if I'm just going to have to pump and dump to maintain my supply. Like, And that was just the beginning of the journey. And I have pumped in the desert, the middle of the woods, tents and military vehicles, bathrooms, hotel rooms, my car. I mean, so many places with no electricity, no running water, sometimes able to store and transport the milk, but other times, like I said, having to just pump and dump in order to maintain my ability to nurse when I got back home. And it's been an interesting journey to say the least, and it took a lot, but for both of my babies, I was able to breastfeed them until about two year postpartum mark, pretty much my littlest. Now I've got two boys. One, my oldest is now four and my youngest is almost two. And we're going strong over here, even with time apart a lot throughout the journey. So yeah, this yeah. is just a beautiful story. And, and it really reminds me like ladies, Megan and I've talked lots because 
really how I actually started listening to you was all about the pelvic exercises and all of that stuff, because I'm the old woman of the village and we didn't have those words. We didn't have this concept and you think that something's wrong with you and very similar. I mean, I only had six weeks maternity leave back in 87 when my daughter was born and same thing. I had to go to a, a TDY, which I had to go to a school. I don't even know why I didn't even know anything about pumping. It was weird. I didn't have any support. I didn't know who to ask. It was interesting because with our story, my husband and I met in March and we got married in October. And similar in that one of the reasons why we got married so quickly was he was a couple of years ahead of me and he had a follow-on assignment. He was already ready to rotate and he had to go back to his, his advanced officer's course. And then he had a follow-on assignment to go to Colorado. And I just told him, I'm not doing a three-year engagement and I'm not doing a three-year long distance. And this is way before computers and FaceTime and all of that stuff. This is letter writing and long distance phone calls. So we knew, same thing, that dual military policy had just been released. Like, this is how old, like, this is, so guys, this is like, we're talking, but like, you know, I'm kind of like the grandmother of the military and, and she's the current one. And so, yeah, so we got married. He went back to the States. I was blessed to go back to the States for some training. I got to see him over Valentine's Day. And then I went out to the desert in California, NTC, and then came back and realized I was pregnant. And, you know, all the guys were like, it wasn't me. Like, I was like, no, 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 guys, guys, like, I'm going to go see my husband. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you're right. And, and one of the unique stories for me was, is that at the time I was military intelligence officer, which is called the S2 in the military for an aviation unit. And like I said, my best friend was an aviator. Aviators, they're all pilots. They're all officers or warrant officers. And if you got pregnant as an aviator, you were grounded. So there were none, there were no females that had ever been pregnant. I was the first female officer that they had to deal with. And I remember I, I joke and say that my office was in the hangar with the S3 and I would have to go sometimes to battalion, sometimes to brigade. And depending on how badly I had to go to the bathroom is how I would kind of make my rounds because I knew every single bathroom and they just didn't know what to do with me. And yeah. the same thing, it's like this concept of like, oh, women are going to be in the military. Oh, they might fall in love and they actually might get married. Oh, well, then we need to assign them together. Oh, they might get pregnant and have a baby. I mean, I joke and tell the story of when I was actually in labor, I went to go to the hospital I had a new lieutenant's wife that I was supposed to take to go get her driver's test. And on the way down from our concern down to the main concern, we were in Germany. I was in labor. And so I was like, we're going to go to the hospital instead. And so they had done a check. And in those days, the maternity uniform was a skirt and a shirt. And then they had the little tie that was Velcroed on. And I hadn't put the tie on yet. It was still in my jacket. And we were walking out of the labor and delivery into the main. And this sergeant major came up to me and he pulled me aside. And he's like, ma'am, I'm sorry to instruct you, but do you know you're out of uniform? And I was like, what? I, literally in between a contraction, I'm like, what? And he's like, you don't oh have a tie goodness. on. And I pull, I, thankfully I pulled it out. I go, oh, I was just about to put this on. 
on. <laughs> and he's like, well, you know, I, I can see you're kind of, you know, in this condition. He didn't realize that I was literally in labor. In labor at the moment. And yes. my friend, my, my army wife friend, like we were walking out and he's like, what did he say to you? And I go, oh, he corrected me because I was out of uniform. She's like, what? You're about to have a baby. And I go, yeah, that's the attitude, yeah. you know? And yeah, and I wanted to breastfeed. And again, so so we were going back to our story, like we were the first of our friend group that got married. And then we were the first ones to have a baby. And I remember even this best friend of mine that was a pilot, we have a picture in my daughter's baby book, like she's holding the baby, like with this scared look on her face, because she she'd never babysat. She was the youngest of two brothers. She had no concept of motherhood. She wasn't dating. So I was an anomaly. I didn't fit into the army wives of my husband's unit because I was active duty. And I didn't fit into my social circle in the military because I'm a mom. And that is such a hardship. And I, I don't think it's just, you know, ladies and gentlemen, we are talking about military, but we want to also emphasize, we understand that this is a dichotomy and this is a challenge for any woman that is working outside of the home that is choosing. And it's not to say that just because you're a mom, just because you're a wife, you shouldn't be working. If that has been what you've been called to do, then, you know, and I'm just so proud of you, Megan, of how you made it work. I just couldn't, like the one drastic thing, and you and I've also talked about this, is that I chose to have a nanny because that's what I had told my husband was, I don't want to have to get up at three. This was before the Berlin Wall came down. So we were still having alerts. I don't know if they even do that anymore, but every month we'd have an alert and you never knew at three o'clock in the morning, whether sometimes commanders would like say, okay, we're actually going to go out on exercise since we have this alert and we were going to, you know, or if you were going to be back in an hour. And I just told my husband, I didn't want my baby to go to somebody else's house at three o'clock in the morning. And partly was I had a an NCO that was in my office. He was actually an S3 NCO, but that's what his wife did. It was in-home daycare. And he would come in on days that other units were actually out in the field and share stories about all these kids in their home and blah, 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 and la, la, la. And this mom forgot their ba fa baby's favorite teddy bear and the baby's having a meltdown. I mean, it is just a hard life. Anyway, going back to the exercise aspect, I never was able to recover. And I had been an ROTC. I had always maxed my PT test. That's Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be talking a lot military stuff. So PT test is our physical training test. It's something that all military have the standard and maxing it out means you get a hundred percent of all the different things. And I didn't have the drive anymore because same thing. My daughter very easily accepted a formula bottle during the day, but at night she wanted me. And my husband said, when I was gone on that business trip, that TDY as soon as the sun went down, she wanted me. And as soon as the sun came up, she would drink a bottle. So from sundown to sunup, he would sit in her room and sleep on the floor. And every hour or so, he had a real hard time. And I was in this class and I didn't know anything about pumping. So I would get back to my room and I would just take a hot shower and just cry because I would have a letdown. But I had a battalion commander that was notorious of having a five o'clock staff meeting. And I was still able to nurse in the evening as soon as I got home 
And I can't tell you like how many times I would be like going like this, you know, having a letdown. And I didn't know anything about breast pads or anything. And I would just be sitting there and I was the only female. And the guy was like looking at me and I'm just like, I need to go nurse my baby. Like they just didn't have a clue. They had no concept of this aspect of femaleness. So I just really want to commend you and just tell you how much I'm just so proud of you because I couldn't handle and I just told my husband I'm just not as motivated as you I'm going to hang up my boots but the other aspect of it and you guys have been making it work is that I knew like I wanted to be a foreign area officer and so I had a trajectory where I wanted to go language school and things like that and my husband was an armor officer and he was going to stay down in the units and I could just see we would never be stationed together and I just knew my motherhood was always more important. I wanted to always be the army wife. I never really wanted to always be the army officer, you know, but yeah. So tell me, how did you decide to breastfeed in the military? I mean, why did you decide not? I mean, you have, you have just shared with us, you have pumped in the desert, you have pumped in cars, you have pumped in hotels, you have pumped in tents. That is dedication, girl. That is huge dedication. Uh, The average woman wouldn't do that. How did you find the support and how did you like, like the grit that decided, no, this is something important for my life? Yeah. Okay. So I think it started off my first experience being very different than my second, but I think I had, I mean, on the more negative side of things, and this is what I want to encourage to any woman who's listening, who either... I mean, I, I almost first want to say, like, if you have had an experience with breastfeeding that did not go as you hoped or planned, or maybe you were not able to make it work, or you chose not to make it work for whatever reason, I don't want you to feel guilty about that. And I think for me, one of the biggest parts of my journey over the last four years in breastfeeding has been learning how to detach my worth and my identity and my sense of who I am as a mother outside of that, because I have this narrative in my mind of, okay, success equals making it work no matter what, you know, and therefore I'm a failure as a mom if I can't do this Mm. and if I can't continue. And so it led to so much like stress and anxiety about fitting in my pumping sessions, keeping up my supply and with every bit of adversity thrown at me. Right. So I don't know. I think some of it now that I reflect back and now that I I have an understanding of what was going on in my mind more based on just the life coaching tools and everything, right? I see a lot of it was often rooted in anxiety and scarcity and stress and kind of a lack of understanding that my worth was unconditional and it's not dependent on this. Yet at the same time, I have always been very, I mean, I have a sense of determination that's very strong and naturally. And I also had been through even a lot at the academy. I had torn my ACL several times. I recovered physically from all of those things multiple times. I had three total knee surgeries there. And I was also coming back to earn my spot on the court throughout all of that because I was a volleyball player and all the physical requirements of the academy, if you can imagine. And so with all of that, I kind of, I don't know, I, I was able to keep going when it was hardest. When I would wake up at two in the morning, when we're already out in the middle of the night in the woods, I would wake up at two in the morning with my red lens flashlight because we're not allowed to have a regular flashlight because it's a tactical environment. And I would use my red lens flashlight and pump under my uniform top or whatever to keep keep it going. I 
would, I hand expressed in the woods in the middle of a mission. I would, I was in a convoy next to the men that I work with in a military vehicle because we can't stop because the mission keeps going and I'm pumping there under a nursing cover. I mean, it's like crazy stories that I could tell, but I just was really dedicated to making it work because for me, it was like, it was the, it was healing in the sense that the military was, was almost stealing me away from my baby and was, was pulling me from my baby in a way that I could not control. But what could I do at least to pour every ounce, like literally every ounce of love I could into my baby when I was away, this was the way. And so for me, it was this labor of love that was worth it. It was worth it. No matter what it was, at least I knew I was pouring into my baby in every way I could when I was apart. And in whether or not that milk was able to make it back, I was able to make most, most of the milk was able to make it back home because I got really creative with problem solving. And I think that was a big piece of it is just uh, that being willing to have the conversations, being willing to advocate for myself. And I did not learn this right away. I will tell you, I had to find my voice. And so I have now since become a very strong advocate for so many women in uniform and so many mothers and have, have kind of contributed towards major policy change. A lot of what Mama Jane is talking about of her experience, we've been able to shift a lot of those things, but the stigmas are still very much there. And so it's not easy to have these conversations. And when people are not exposed in any way to this, they have no idea. So it's just normalizing the conversation, being willing to talk about breastfeeding without getting squeamish about it when you're surrounded by all men, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, that and that itself was hard, you know? That is hard because yeah. like I said, I mean, you're kind of in this no man land, right? Is the men really don't have any concept. And if they happen to be married, they may be able to give you a little bit of advice from a father's perspective. They didn't give the birth. And, and I would get these all kinds of stories because like I said, I was the first female officer pregnant in postpartum that they'd ever seen, you know, it was all the enlisted but then the other thing is, is like most of the women haven't had that experience either. So you don't have that camaraderie of a mother support group or something. And that is one of the things that I'm just so proud of you that you found your voice, but then not only did you find your voice for you, but you have made significant policy changes in the military because of your experiences. Me, instead of like looking back, I'm thinking, wow. I just gave up and said, you know what, forget it. I'm going and going to be a full-time mom, which worked, you know, it worked with us. And there was a lot of things I didn't know and things like that. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, Megan is a mover and a shaker. And I really, really want to encourage you to listen to her podcast because although it's called Arm to the Heart and she's a military wife and she's a military soldier and she's a mom and a breastfeeding mom of two beautiful boys. She understands all of the life balances. She understands it doesn't matter whether it's military. You could be a doctor. You could be a professional that does a lot of traveling. I mean, any really situation. And that is your gift. And you have had now, you said you started your own business to help the pre and the postnatal fitness coaching and the life coaching for what, three years now, you said? You've been yeah, doing it's that? been about three and a half years. Mm -hmm. Three and a half. And so she has tons and tons of clients. So if this 
conversation has resonated with you, if you've struggled with breastfeeding, if you've struggled with postpartum, that was what perked my ears up with Megan was the way she helps recover for fitness of postpartum. And we don't talk about that. And looking back, I had a conversation in one of the other interviews about breastfeeding with a nurse. She's an IBCLC and she's an RN and she's a labor delivery nurse. She talked about how they're much more adamant about the the markers of postpartum depression. Because I think in my own story, looking back, I think I probably had postpartum depression. I've talked about this on this podcast. Like I have fought depression for almost 40 years and it wasn't something to be talked about. And part of it was my own family background and things like that. But I think some of it was postpartum. And that's also one of those things that, again, for me, I didn't know who to talk to. I didn't have a a role model like yourself. I didn't have the gifts and talents. I'm, I mean, I'm just so thankful that God has given you this determination, this ability. I'm sure in the Clifton strengths, you probably have high strategic, higher ranger, all of those wonderful things, problem solving. Like you said, you just started to solve the problem, but look at how much just your participation has opened the door for all of this. And ladies and gentlemen, this is what I want to remind everyone that I've talked about. The thing about billings that I love is that every cycle is unique. Every woman is unique. And this really shows Megan is an example of how unique your life might not look like hers. And you might listen to her and think, oh my goodness, there's no way I could ever do what she's done to pump and to make sure she's breastfeeding with her babies and whatever. God's not calling you to that. God's calling you for something else. God has a unique design on your life in the way that you were called to be a woman the way you are called to be a wife, the way you are called to be a mother. And it's not going to look like anybody else. And that's one of those things that I heard from your story, especially at the beginning of the breastfeeding is in life coaching, we have this verbiage called a manual. Each of us has a perfect manual or a recipe book on how things should be. And you said something so important that I want to go back to in that you discovered that your worth is not in how you mother or how you breastfeed. Your worth is infinite just because who God created you to be. Now, because of that, you've understood that God has given you these beautiful gifts and these beautiful talents and these beautiful children and this wonderful husband who I still haven't met, but I'm going to one of these days. <laughs> one of these oh, days yeah. <laughs> I'm going to drive out to Fort Hood and come meet, meet you guys. <laughs> but your relationship is unique. Your marriage is unique and your children are unique. And that's the thing, ladies and gentlemen, I want to remind you that breastfeeding is important for our families. And like Megan said, I, I want you to hear what she said. The reason she chose to be so determined to be able to pump in all of these crazy situations that she was put into by the military was so that she could stay connected to her baby. That mother-child connection is so important and we just don't give it the highest level of value as much as we we think that just because somebody is taking care of the baby that's good enough that's why i love breastfeeding because it does unite the baby and the mother in such a unique way and it teaches you to be the mother because i'm sure you're a different mother to william than you were to oh, yeah. to matthew Mainly because of all of the experiences, you're not a new mom, but because he's different. 
every yes. child is different as well. And that's what we also have to understand is that our motherhood is going to progress. That's one of the reasons why I call myself Mama Jane is a friend of mine, like you just mother the mothers. I'm like, well, I just mother because that's who I am. I chose because it, when I was in the military, I could see really there was only two choices, either be in the military and have someone else raise my children or stay home and be the mother that I'm called to be and have that stay at home one parent. And, and again, you've changed so many policies, so much mindset in the military itself, being able to have these conversations, being on this women's initiative team. There's only 30 members of this initiative team, ladies and gentlemen, and Megan is one of them out of all the military. I mean, this is just fantastic. I'm just, I'm so proud of you. When you, when you and I were talking about this, I'm just like, wow, God has given you a, a platform and he's also given you a sense of poverty of you've seen it. That's why he asked you, to, would you have done this in the in medical field or the research field or the business field? Probably, but it's even more so in the military. So I just really want to thank you. So tell me if there's one thing that you could share with our audience about breastfeeding. If you could go back and say, if someone walked up to me when I was first pregnant with Matthew and say this about breastfeeding, what would you want them to say? Oh, I could go a couple of directions with that. But I think one thing that I didn't touch on is just learning how to trust your body. And something you had said too, is that right? Like we want this to resonate across, especially any working moms, because I think one thing that has been really hard for me in the military life and not so much of why I've become a life coach, because it's just been transformational to learn that we don't have to be defined by our circumstances and we don't have to be a victim to them. And oh my gosh, military life, like so much is imposed on us, right? Our circumstances are very much not in our control. We just, we don't even know what tomorrow is going to bring and what we're going to be asked to do. And we have to bend over backwards and sacrifice so much as a family in order to just do whatever the military is calling us to do. And we have to be away often. And we've spent, you know, over two and a half years out of our five years of marriage apart, just to put it in perspective. Yeah. A lot of that has been solo parenting for me. So, you know, it's, it's not easy. And I've been apart from both the kids for extended periods of time. And I felt a lot of guilt for that along the way. And I think even just the day-to-day -day working mom life, you can feel a lot of that guilt, right? For that time you spend away or the time like you were talking about where you're leaving your baby with somebody else and nobody has the capacity to love as you can as a mom. But at the same time, okay, it's like, what can I control? And and for me, it's like, I wanted, I didn't want my breastfeeding relationship to end not on my own terms. And so for both of my babies, I thought they were going to end not on my own terms because the military was calling me to be away for several months for both of them. And this was towards the end of maybe 18, 19 months postpartum with both of them. So that's kind of their age, but they were still breastfeeding overnight and they loved it. And I loved it. It was, it was a beautiful bond that, like you said, sustained us through a lot of that time apart. And, and it's also very, I mean, so many of the benefits also apply to you as a mom. And so if you, if you aren't spun up on that, I, we don't have time to get into it right now, but, but please go read about the breastfeeding benefits to the mother as well. So I think we all know it's very beneficial for the baby, but when you kind of see that to the way that it supports your postpartum healing, your mental health, the oxytocin release, it, it can be a buffer against postpartum depression, anxiety, and so many different factors. It can also be a factor in preventing breast cancer and other forms of cancer. So yeah, really amazing. We've, we've talked so, about that. 
Yeah. So anyways, yeah. it's so good. But definitely I wanted it to be on my own terms. So for both my babies, I'd stopped breastfeeding them because I was apart and I felt like it was the end of our journey. I hadn't been pumping while I was away. And so I had multiple months of my supply probably dwindling down to nothing. And then I returned back home and I felt really called to resume nursing. And sometimes it was like for one of them, for Matthew, it was a moment where he was just inconsolable in the middle of the night and nothing else was working. And I was like, okay, do you want to try to nurse? And I hadn't nursed him in over two months. And he uh-huh. happily took to it and kind of dry nursing in the moment, but we eventually, we resumed nursing relationship and I continued to nurse him through until I became pregnant with William. And then it kind of got a little sensitive. So I was like, okay, and I want to take a little break before I'm nursing a newborn around the clock. And then with William, I just had two months away for a training course. And with that, I pumped for the whole first month that I was away from him and I was able to get the milk back to him and everything. But then the second month, our workload got really heavy and I just kind of was like, you know, I'm not really sure at this point if it's worth it anymore. And I just let go. I just let go of it. And I was like, all right, you know, and then when I was preparing to come back home a couple of days before coming home, I felt like when I was praying in the morning, I felt called to think about what am I going to do if William wants to nurse? Because, you know, he's at the age where he will ask for it, right? Like he'll ask for it. And so I was like, do I want to say yes? Do I want to say no? Where's that boundary? And I was kind of in that discernment. Like I wanted to really prayerfully discern that decision and to make sure it was because it's not convenient. Let's, let's be really real. It's not convenient to be pumping all the time, to be breastfeeding all the time. Sometimes it's convenient compared to maybe formula in certain ways, but then also your body is not your own. You are not, you know, you don't have the sense of freedom that you would have if you're not breastfeeding because your baby's attached to you. That's just how it goes. And so in many ways, I always felt there's a spiritual dimension to it also of this is my body given up for you. That's who we are as mothers. That's what our body is doing in every way in motherhood, pregnancy, postpartum, breastfeeding, you name it, right? It's what we're doing. And so we we are kind of um, a mirror of Christ's sacrifice on the cross in that way. And I want to be very discerning of that decision of not making it out of any selfish reasons, but just to really say, okay, Lord, if, if this is what it's going to take to kind of restore the relationship after being apart, then I'm willing to do it. And I want to be here for him in that way. And yeah, I felt really called to. And so I resumed nursing him. So an entire month over a month of not pumping or anything, my milk supply has come back. And so I just share that because I, again, immense trust in my body I've gained over time because our bodies are so resilient. And I think I was just encouraging breastfeeding mother a day ago who was apart from her baby for the first time overnight. And she was like really anxious about pumping on schedule and all those things. She was like, oh, I don't want to miss my pumping session in the middle of the night. And I was just like, hey, your body's going to be okay. Your your breastfeeding relationship will not be sabotaged based on one day of not being able to pump in the same way that you normally would. It will add up. Yeah, it's about supply and demand, but your body's so resilient and, and I want you to trust that so you don't have to be afraid and I just, I think there's been such a deep spiritual walk in that and trust and trust and faith and, you know, the sacrifice and the, the death to self and learning how to be dependent on God, just as much as my baby's dependent on me. It's like, I mean, so many dimensions to that, but yeah, that's what I would say. Trusting my body, leaning on the Lord and allowing myself to need my baby and allowing my baby to need me. Mm, you know, and that relationship then with God that that also brings. So that's what I would share. 
Oh, that is so fantastic. And so ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be talking next week about the spiritual dimension. I'm really glad you you talked about that. We're going to talk about the spiritual dimension about breastfeeding because remember, this is cycles and sanctity. And my goal is always to encourage you in your spiritual walk with the Lord and bring everything to him. Remember, we talked about St. Ignatius's first principle and foundation that everything we should give praise and honor to God in all circumstances. So thank you. Thank you so much for your work. Thank you for being the light, really, truly the light to witness to other women. And we're going to put your podcast in the show notes. Ladies and gentlemen, please, I want to encourage you to go to her podcast, listen to her. She's been doing this a lot longer than I have. So she has a number of uh, episodes that are talking about breastfeeding, overcoming how to, how to pump, all of the things, how to transport, send your milk. I mean, all the things that, like I said, I it just conversations that not only did I not have, but I we didn't even, we just didn't think of. So thank you so much. And she is a life coach. She's a pre and postnatal fitness coach. She has a number of programs for women. So get in contact with Megan. Thank you so much for your time. We are recording this very early in the morning because she's got to get to work. I really, really appreciate it. So we will see you next week for this continuing month of breastfeeding and NFP and all the things. And I hope this has been beneficial to you. God bless you and take care. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I want to invite you to the Uniquely Beautifully You program. The registration form is in the show notes and I look forward to serving you.